Hello, friend. Hi, Henry. Uh, I'm so glad to be back uh, to talk about Mr. Robot with you. How have you been? Doing really great, Margaret. And I'm really, really excited that uh, Mr. Robot's back. It feels like it's been way too long. Yeah, I know. And it's been quite a while since we've last um, made a, a podcast together. And it's been really awesome to hear from all of our listeners who've reached out either on Facebook or Twitter. And it's nice to know that everyone is excited as we are about uh, this fourth and final final uh, season of the series. Anything to report in life in general before we get started? Struck when I was watching Mr. Robot at you know, how much reality has kind of shifted to dystopianism uh, and sort of matched the tone of the show, uh, you know, and just kind of thinking of what the world was like when the show first started. Yeah, I've also uh, been really caught up with how long ago, first of all, that we last saw the series and when it came to its conclusion, we were in the middle of a lot of world events. And now, you know, even though it's only been two years in our time, and in, I guess in the world of Mr. Robot, we're talking about the end of 2015-2016, everything that's sort of transpired on the world stage as far as uh, whether politics or the development of technology and our awareness around the impact that technology has in our lives and stuff like cryptocurrencies, it's just it's timely and yet eerily like a parallel world in a, in a weird way. And also the dark army being kind of associated with the Chinese government or, you know, White Rose being the minister of security for China and the current trade war, uh, it also kind of resonates. Yes. And I just wanted to also mention to the listeners, while just as we're about to get into talk about this awesome season premiere. Uh, I wanted to mention that Henry and I are going to be doing another podcast where we aren't going to announce what it is just yet, but definitely we'll let everyone who's subscribed to this feed know when that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to tell people more about that. Um, but you know, first things first, Mr. Robot. Yes, so Henry and I, uh, Margaret, are here to review Season 4, Episode 1, called Unauthorized 401. Uh, it's kind of a play on um, computer jargon there. What did you think overall about the episode? Well, I had a lot of kind of emotions uh, watching this. You know, like at points I was kind of frustrated or I felt like I didn't know quite what was going on. The tone felt a little jarring to me because it's been so long since I've seen a Mr. Robot episode just to kind of get back into that tone and pacing and, and that world. And it's, you know, very self-referential, I think. So I had, I had a kind of a mix of things, you know, and I also was watching it through the lens of knowing that this was going to be the final season. And it kind of made me think a bit about where the show has been. Uh, and I also felt like there were some missed opportunities, which we can talk about later. 
I did not go back and rewatch season three, which I realized I should have maybe done to become incredibly familiar with every little detail like we were when we were watching it actively for especially for this podcast but I definitely felt like there was a different feel to this episode almost from the start and I I personally liked a lot of it I found a lot of it a little um hard to get used to and not in a bad way but it was a different vibe altogether in fact one of um someone who likes this show and I think listens to our podcast uh kind of commented similarly on Twitter the other day, uh, the the shaky camera effects, and then also the very sort of expansive feeling that you got regarding how this episode is really about the turning of world events is very different from, I think, almost all of the previous seasons in terms of it being sort of almost cinematic versus versus more claustrophobic feeling, which is a feeling that I often have watching Elliot, for example, especially in season one and two, for that matter. Yeah, I think every sort of dramatic series goes through a sort of question phase where it's posing questions to intrigue the audience, like who, what, when, why, and you're trying to figure all this out. And at a certain point, it kind of has to shift over to explaining things right uh, and providing the answers and some shows when they make that switch don't satisfy their fans because they're not really happy with the answers they were much more happy with the questions i think game of Thrones is like the most recent example of this so i think this last season of mr robot as it shifts to answering mode it's gonna be interesting to see that shift of tone and also that scale and sweep yeah uh it's true like uh we all watched Game of Thrones, the final season, with anticipation. I know I did, and I really still love the series, and I know the the large numbers of the fandom were really disappointed with how that all resolved. And I have heard the different actors from Mr. Robot promise that it's going to provide a lot of answers. And I guess in a lot of ways, it, it did provide that pretty much in the beginning, potentially, at least for when it comes to Angela and Philip Price, the most droning, awful villain I've ever encountered. That initial scene where it goes from flashback straight into you know the action or the, the episode, I thought was really well done. Um, you know, I, at first I I didn't catch the beginning of it just because I kind of zoned out during the the intro, and then I didn't realize it was live, and I kind of had to rewind a bit to to catch it. Uh, but I thought that that was pretty well done. I thought that was really smart, too. You're right that uh, Sam Esmail wrote that transition to be pretty much seamless from what we all saw and encountered and was being recapped for us last season, moving into the continuation of the conversation. Just reading Twitter, people were pretty upset about what happened to Angela? I mean, we start off, Angela is talking to Philip Price. She's she's knows now he's her dad, and she uh, is vowing to get revenge on White Rose. And Philip is in his in his way trying to convince Angela to just give it up and realize that she's just been made a fool. And Angela is absolutely resolute that that will not happen. What did you think about how that scene unfolded? 
you know, when it, as it was unfolding real time, you know, there's that increasing sense of dread when you feel like something's going a little bit wrong when you hear the, you know, people getting out of cars and you see her kind of looking off into the distance and you know, what, uh, you know, Philip Price is saying about this, she's got to take it back. You kind of get this increasing sense of unease that something dramatic and bad is about to happen and happen to her. And yet when it happens, you know, I was pretty shocked. I was uh you know, taking it back. Um, and then at the same time, <laughs> I have to admit, a part of me was like, good. <laughs> Maybe I can, I, I don't have to see as much of this character on screen anymore. I will admit that Angela was not one of my favorite characters. I mean, it's hard to see a character, any character that you're supposed to sort of empathize with be so willfully sort of self-sabotaging and while you know we may discover at some point later on in the series towards the finale that she's not dead and she's some hero or she left some kind of like trap that will you know Elliot will discover later I've also heard theories and I heard this when I was listening to the bald move podcast that some people are theorizing that Angela is the real AI in this show. But honestly, I think she was an unredeemable character after last season. I mean, how do you root for somebody who's done all those terrible things? I think she's gone. But what do you think? Well, I mean, in the same show, uh, as it develops, you know, there's a little bit of doubt cast onto whether or not she's really dead, right? And so uh, some of the finality of the initial scene kind of ebbs away towards the middle and the end of this episode when you know Darlene starts to question whether or not she's still alive and you know there's been a lot of unreliable narrators throughout the course of the show so it kind of keeps you off balance a bit but I, I do have to say you know taking that face value Angela and her demise isn't something that I feel terrible about just because I think she's one of the least likable protagonists that I can remember Yes. And, you know, I'm the kind of person who also tends to like villains in a given series. I mean, sometimes they're made very charismatic. I mean, you're kind of meant to love to hate them. Or And Philip Price, uh, I think the actor does a great job because I, I think he's despicable. I do kind of get the sense that he cares as he's walking away and and he's and he hears Angela being shot and she apparently is resigned to her fate I guess on some level and then he's back in his in that abode wherever he's staying and he's smashing things but oh he's just the worst like I don't even love to hate him I just I just want to see bad things happen to Philip Price and and maybe Angela's you know, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree in terms of sensibilities because she tried to be, a, you know, like her dad early on in the show, you know, in terms of rising through the corporate ladder and all that stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, did you have any sense about the, the, the scene where Angela was shot or Philip's um, conversation with White Rose on the phone? It was pointed out in Reddit that the imagery of the scene where he's talking on the phone with White Rose is pretty rich because the ceiling in the room above him is decorated with roses. Um, And so kind of symbolic of the maybe dominance that White Rose has over him. Uh, But, you know, those two have had kind of a mysterious and yet uh, antagonistic relationship all throughout the course of the series, right? At various points, it seems like 
uh, he's completely in line with White Rose. Other times it seems like he is actively uh, opposed or fighting. So, you know, I, I, I felt like it was a, a setup scene more than anything else. Just coming so early in the show, I felt like, you know, uh, that there was more to come and just kind of take it all in. Yeah, and and Philip Price has no shortage of self pity happening. You know, it it really is all about him, and and it's true. His alliances seem to shift. I mean, he was really broken up about what happened to Angela. And you're right, I hear you about the setup scene. Uh, and yet, at the same time, he did wear a wire, and he's part of that whole uh, machine. Uh, I did love the scene with White Rose and how White Rose was weirdly patient with Philip Price over the phone, and Price was trying to say, you did this to her, you recruited her. And um, you know, White Rose is, says pretty much, you know, I'm used to taking this kind of you know, abuse for people. If you need to dump on me, go for it. I thought that was a really patient response in a lot of ways. And also pretty dishonest, right? Because White Rose throughout this, the history of the show has been the puppet master behind the strings, a person who is setting everyone up, anticipating their moves, painting them into corners. And then for he, her to, you know, sit on the phone with price and say oh people just blame me you know oh woe is me that seems a little disingenuous yeah and this is where we see a lot of the shaky camera going on and one scene i really loved comes after this and this is where we see white rose and who is uh ji zhang who is the chinese minister of state security so that's white rose's other identity white rose has a new assistant and i I love that every time White Rose has an assistant, they hate Elliot. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. They all, all of his assistants hate Elliot and want White Rose to have nothing to do with him. Yeah, and, and it's sort of... So we, we do learn that White Rose is waiting on a shipment just in time for the holidays, but the assistant does not miss the opportunity to, to tell White Rose that Elliot is a good-for-nothing wretch. And... I just think it's hilarious that I know I just said that, but um, you know, they just want to inflict punishment, kill Elliot, just get Elliot out of the way. And they're probably right in every case. The right thing to do would probably be to get rid of him. Yeah, uh, it probably is the right thing to do. But I think uh, what's implied is that maybe the things that Elliot is trying to do to them, uh, some of that has already been done. Yeah, no kidding. Do you have any sense at this point what that shipment might be? No. I mean, I think this is the kind of uh, the posings, posing of the quite a continuation of the posing of the question uh, that came in prior episodes where there was this facility in the Congo and, and now this shipment, um, you know, kind of things moving behind the scenes that imply something very big and dark that we don't have any idea what it is yet. I have a theory. I've mentioned this before about the facility in the Congo. Did you want to quickly go into that for a second? Did sure. you have any theories? No, no. Uh, tell me your theory. I, this, I mentioned this last time, and we've talked about it since. I, I think the facility in the condo, Congo is related to hydraulic power that would be required to mine the cryptocurrency ePcoin. Interesting. <laughs> That's my theory. Like a crypto mining facility? <laughs> Yeah, because, um, you know, as you know, it 
takes a lot of uh, real energy to mine cryptocurrency. And I, I recently met somebody who's a cryptocurrency miner. And how can we describe what a cryptocurrency miner is for people who might not thankfully live in that world? How would you describe that? Uh, cryptocurrencies are created by computers running programs uh, that are very processor intensive. And as a part of, you know, the being processor intensive generate require a lot of power um, and also generate a lot of heat. Uh, so, you know, it's basically large server farms that are running very a very computationally intense program. Yeah. And if you're doing it the old fashioned way, which I think is how most people are doing it, I, like they have these comparisons. I don't have it off the top of my head. I should. But it's sort of like you could power the city of Las Vegas for mining X number of Bitcoin. You have all these kinds of charts and comparisons. But I know there is a trend right now towards trying to make cryptocurrency mining more environmentally friendly it sounds like we're talking about fracking thing is uh the for bitcoin anyway the longer bitcoin is mined the more difficult it is to produce you know more bitcoin uh because the computations become more intense so we're kind of at this it, it, to me, it's a little bit counterintuitive that as the more popular Bitcoin becomes and as more Bitcoin are produced, the more energy it requires to produce the next Bitcoin. So it's kind of this increasing uh, you know, cost, which doesn't normally happen when you're producing something. If you're like mining gold, the more gold that you mine does not necessarily mean it becomes harder to mine additional gold. In many cases, it can become easier uh, because of the way the deposit looks. That's such a great point. Uh, yeah, if you print money, I mean, the cost of scale to print the money doesn't go up. But but yeah, so my theory is, I don't know if the shipment has anything to do with the Congo or uh, cryptocurrency mining or hydraulics, but that's one sort of out there theory that I just came up with based on probably lots of clues <laughs> that they've left. Uh, so who knows what his shipment is? Um, and we'll get into this a little bit later because there's one scene I wanted to mention. We go into the opening credits with the camera drone camera moving from the back of White Rose's head over to the sea to New York City. What did you think of that opening scene? You know, I think you said earlier, you know, this episode felt very cinematic. And I think the, this episode shows a lot of uh, growth on the part of the creative team uh, in terms of how they're presenting the story. Uh, it's kind of mixed between cinematic and claustrophobic. Yeah, and I have a theory that maybe we'll see a uh, Mr. Robot feature-length movie on Netflix or maybe in theater, similar to what we've seen with the Breaking Bad El Camino um, story that's on Netflix now. Um, maybe they're trying to shift to that style to be more cinematically engaging. I don't know, but I liked it. I love that footage uh, as it led up into this, uh, the waterfront in front of New York City and on through in the streets during what I think is one of the best times of the year. The holiday season in New York is one of the best times to be in that city. And Little, little Drummer Boy was playing, ironically. So, Yeah, it seems a little early to have a show kind of uh, you know, being set in Christmas. Usually when TV shows have some sort of Christmas episode or scene, it's like in November or December that they air these episodes. But my feeling is they're kind of 
a lot of what's going to happen in the season is going to take place within a chronologically short period of time on the show. And by the time the show wraps up, it will be around holiday time for us. Um, and so it makes sense, given that, that they would have the show set during the holiday season. Because by the time the season winds up, I think uh, we'll be there ourselves. I felt similarly as, as well, uh, that I, it seemed odd, because usually you build up to the to the holiday scenes, we go right into the, the festive spirit and right into the dreaded office parties, or at least for some people. Uh, and we cut to a holiday party at the Lomax and Looney Law Firm. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it uh, is it Dave Busey who uh, is the one who is uh, the lawyer? Um, you know, he's such a unlike he's like plays such a stereotypically unlikable character in so many of his appearances. Yeah, so Jake, I think it's Jake Busey, and he and he's as you know Gary Busey's son. Because I was like, he looks familiar, but he plays he has such a small role in the overall episode in some ways, but he plays it so well. To your point, it's it's great. He's so slimy. And you can tell his staff really doesn't like him, or at least the the few people we see interacting with him. And even the decorations are so depressing. And this whole sort of scene uh, with you know Elliot and him and the blackmail, it made me think about the show and the different direction it might have taken. Right, like the show could have been structured more around Elliot's hacking episodes. I think in season one, we kind of had that for a few episodes, but then it kind of went off on the E-Corp tangent and there wasn't a lot of, you know, Elliot uh, vigilante crime fighter hacking people and kind of exposing their secrets, right? And it made me wonder about the direction the show could have taken if instead we had, you know, Elliot uh, basically tackling a different sort of hack blackmail scenario every week and kind of righting wrongs and injustice and doing that uh, over a longer period of time with kind of a, a different sort of backstory or a different sort of overarching uh, narrative quest. Yeah, it, w- it was a much more sort of human touch intervention. I thought that was really uh, a really good thing to move into because we did spend so many of the previous seasons focusing on the tech aspect of, you know, what are they doing? You know, wh- how are they creating a honeypot, for example? And now we're dealing with social hacking a lot more, you know, a little with a little bit of the digital. And I was listening to the Bald Move guys again, because I, I like to give other podcasters credit. And they mentioned that they saw on Reddit that there's a low Max and Looney website which offers new clients free ice cream and you know what's funny henry i received a cold call business email about four weeks ago where i was offered a milkshake (laughs) (laughs) okay well maybe uh frozen dairy desserts are the new uh the new incentive yeah so so to your point we uh we discover that Freddie Lomax receives a good old-fashioned package inside of there as a USB drive, a burner phone, and some interesting video selections um, from his adult cam, uh, uh, you know, f- activities. And he's told that he needs to go to Grand Central mo- um, Station and remove 
anything with an on-off switch. Um, did you did you like the scene where he was watching video of himself and then he gets a call from Mr. Robot? Yeah, I, I like... I like these sort of hacking scenarios or scenes where Elliot discovers wrongdoing by people and kind of sets them up and uses them. A lot of, I think this happened a lot in season one, happened less uh, as the seasons went on. But I thought, you know, this whole scene made me kind of think about missed opportunities in terms of the show maybe emphasizing this sort of thing more. Another thing that I think was um, pretty neat and and you know this as well. I mean, we could make a full a full time job out of looking for all the Easter eggs and hidden humor inside of Mr. Robot as a series. And and one thing I love about the show is how it really does encapsulate a lot of what it means to live in New York City. So, for example, when Freddie is in the taxi, we get that blaring TV screen in the back of the taxi with TV announcers talking about how if it weren't for the miracle of Ecoin and Tyrell Wellick, they would all just be in, in dire straits. And when Freddie goes to pay, you get the screen in the back of the taxi summarizing the uh, amounts and there's an option to pay in e-coin. And so that's integrated with the U.S. currency. Um, and do you think that's a clue of what's to come? Mm, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like it's, the episode makes it pretty clear that they are now living in a world where e-coin is becoming a very accepted mode of paying for things. Um, and it... You know, it seems relevant to me in the sense that I, I was talking to some people from China this week and they were talking to me about how WeChat is basically like a digital wallet. And in China, people don't really carry around wallets anymore because you can use your phone and uh, with your phone WeChat to, to pay for most things. So it seems like in that respect, uh, China is kind of already living in this e-coin uh, e future. Yeah, uh China, that's true. And what it made me think of are a couple things. I mean, for one, we saw this so-called bailout program, right, be introduced with the currency that a lot of the forces that, you know, we're looking at are backing. So it's interesting how it's sort of, um, it's, it, I'm getting the sense it's more preferable to maybe use e-coin versus US dollar. And if that's the case, what does that mean for the US dollar? And then, in the real world, I discovered that um, the U.S. and China have have made or are talking about making some kind of a currency pact. Um, that in real life, not in the show. Um, and what does that what does that imply moving forward in terms of our adoption of cryptocurrency and banks backing cryptocurrency or multinational corporations? I've heard about the currency pact. Uh, I think that is uh, related to the uh, exchange rates and how people in the U.S. government feel that China has been abusing its uh, currency policy to uh, penalize the U.S. in trade. So I, I think that has something to do with that. But I mean, that's that's one of the things that people have talked about as a possible implication of Facebook's Libra and other cryptocurrencies is you know, right now with all the other currencies, there's central banks and there's exchange rates and there's a world where one sort of currency is multiplied in value 
uh, when you go somewhere else? And what does that mean in a world where there's cryptocurrency and exchange rates don't really exist? Yeah, thanks for sharing those um, perspectives too. Um, I didn't realize what the um, pact had to do with because honestly, it's changing so rapidly, it's really hard to keep track of all of the developments around, um, you know, moving a cryptocurrency. There's this tw Twitter, I uh, Twitter bot I follow that tracks large trades with um, cryptocurrency. And it's fascinating to see how money just gets moved around to different wallets. And we're talking, you know, in some cases, these trades are like, you know, $100 million. Yeah, I saw some academic research uh, published a few months ago that seemed to imply that there were just a handful of people that were able to set the market price for Bitcoin because of how much Bitcoin they held. And there's been a lot of other evidence to suggest coordinated trading. Um, you know, people talk about being in telegram groups and other things where crypto holders will discuss group strategies so that they can manipulate the market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and not to beat this um, crypto horse dead, uh, but it, the, the Twitter feed is called whale underscore alert, whale alert, if anyone's interested. It's pretty interesting. And I've heard similar rumors as well. But obviously, it's, it's you know, more to discover, I suppose. And so then we have this whole scene at Grand Central Station, which I think cinematically is a beautiful scene of of this guy, Freddie, being instructed by Mr. Robot where to meet Elliot at some, at, on, in some car in a train, you know, after he goes through this elaborate process of buying a ticket and avoiding the Dark Army guys who are on his tail. There were a lot of Easter eggs on this train with uh, Freddie and Elliot. Did you happen to see any that stood out to you while uh, Elliot was taking a look at Freddie's files? Uh, I'm terrible at spotting Easter eggs in Mr. Robot, I've realized. Like, I'm always focused on other things. And so it's, for me, it's always a process of going back to like Reddit and other places and seeing what Easter eggs other people have caught. Uh, what about you? Yeah, so basically, we discovered that that White Rose has all these shell corporations, and the Bank of Cyprus is somehow going to play uh, a significant role. And a lot of the files were really cool of First of all, Elliot um, was using Ice Weasel, which was a renegade version of Firefox or an older version from that time. And um, White Rose, the actor B.D. Wong, was in Jurassic Park. So it, so as sort of a joke, it, it seems like some of White Rose's shell corporations are these genetic companies based in Costa Rica. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But then at some point, Freddie realizes that there's no way out of this for him, and, and, he, and he kills himself. And now we have two deaths in this episode. Yeah, I was kind of racking up quite a body count, you know? I, I felt like every scene was going to end in someone's death uh, as the show went on. What did you think about Dominique and, and the shape she was in? I, I thought that that was interesting. Um, you know, that was kind of one of the, the question marks to me was what they were going to do with her character and the role that they were going to, she was going to play. I think they're kind of setting her up for a redemption arc. I could be wrong, but the thought kind of struck me as I watched that scene that, you know, oftentimes the, sh the kind of story about a cop 
or a law enforcement officer sort of in depression, beating themselves up over past mistakes, and then getting an opportunity to redeem themselves is a very classic story arc. So I, I had this thought while I was watching you know, her scene, whether or not this is what we're being set up for. Yeah, and I, I love that when she was interacting with her mom and that plumber. I mean, and who knows? Who knows if he could have been there for nefarious purposes based on what happened with Janice, right? Um, but there was a white rose picture on the wall. So, I mean, you know, she's, she's surrounded. So I think Dominique's going to uh, have a chance to redeem herself and probably she'll have to kill Janice along the way. <laughs> Do you uh, do you think Darlene and uh, Dom are at some point going to pair up? Yeah, I thought I thought Dar- uh, Carly Chaikin did an amazing job of being completely strung up and on a real self-destructive bent. But um, you know, she's a survivor, and I believe that you know, while Elliot and Mister Robot, you know, they they go to John Garson's building after Freddie tells them, you know, to go there, but that's a human honeypot basically, or a physical location honeypot versus a, um, a computer hack one. Um, but I do think, um, Darlene is going to ally with either, um, Elliot possibly, or, uh, with, with, um, Dominique. I mean, Dominique's going to uh, ally with, uh, one of the siblings, Elliot or Darlene to say yeah i think angela's death provides room or space for dom's character to play more of a role and to uh you know tag tag team up with either elliot darlene or both yeah i i thought that um you know there's at some point dom dom is gonna have to do something because there's no way she she can obviously hide right because as you saw like the way the dark army has of getting into people's lives and just staying there and and being pretty deadly <laughs> it's pretty high um pr- pretty high stakes there uh so so we do meet trudy so who knows what's going to happen with trudy or with sister merkin which i think was a hilarious reference and i love that darlene was living at what used to be angela's house but everything's painted black (laughs) only to a certain point (laughs) yeah and is it is it explained why she's living in angela's house no i mean i guess she's just squatting there but she instead of keeping it light and airy she painted it to the extent she could more her style um but it it doesn't really explain that or how she's able to live there um darlene's pretty you know crafty so who knows if she hacks something to make it happen or if it's just sitting there dormant i hope i hope that darlene's arc turns for the better just because it's just hard to see her be so self-destructive yeah, and that's another character that's kind of undergone a really weird evolution from season one, if you think about it, right? Like, she went from being someone kind of holding Elliot together and kind of uh, making sure he didn't go too off the rails to someone now who's strung out and off the rails herself. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and you know, just going back to the Freddy scene where the Dark Army was able to track Freddy because of the Bluetooth um chip on his um on his employee badge um i thought that was really interesting and you know in real life there are employee badges like electronic badges that can even monitor when you 
talk and it can monitor your posture and it can record all that. So in addition to just tracking your movement, a lot of employee badges have a lot of information they're constantly encoding. It's a, a frightening uh, vision of the future, right? If you think about going into work and your employer knowing everything that you say, uh, how straight you sit, how many words per minute you type, what you look at, uh, it's, you know, it's a pretty frightening scenario, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because, um, you know, I've even saw uh, some neuro-linguistic um, scientists looking at, um, at word patterns that are produced in corporate emails. And from just looking at that, they can determine how happy someone is at work and how long they're going to say based on whether they write in the future or write in the present. So the more you write emails that are about the present predicts your unhappiness. Um, anyway, uh, so lots of information that we're giving off just by using the phones and our badges and, and being online. And it's pretty fascinating. Um, but, but, you know, we see Elliot and Mr. Robot back at this apartment that is obviously a setup because even the picture frames aren't really filled in with real photos. And then we see the whole, um, what we might have thought was Elliot's end where he was drugged by, um, I guess, Philip Price's people, White Rose's people by extension. What did you think of that? Yeah, I was confused as to whether he was poisoned by one group and then saved by another. Like, was he killed by White Rose and then restored by Philip Price and his men and kind of implying that Philip Price is now uh, after White Rose and has recruited Elliot as his ally? Or, you know, is Philip Price acting as an agent of White Rose and, you know, somehow messing with Elliot by you know, letting him get that close to death and bringing him back to, to life? Um, you know, one of the themes of this show is kind of this idea of resurrection or life after death, which was something that was kind of implied before when Angela was talking to White Rose and this idea that somehow her mother could be brought back. So it's interesting that this kind of resurfaces again and we're left wondering what, what's going on actually. Yeah, and I, I thought it was classic that um, sort of like uh, Alfred Hitchcock used to put himself in his movies. We see Sam Esmail, the show creator, being the one to say goodbye, friend, to Elliot. Is Elliot really dead? And when he's revived, is that something else? Is Angela really dead? Probably. But why did Darlene say she saw Angela? Did she see her? Maybe she did. What do you think? Do you think he, she saw Angela? So I, I went on uh, Reddit and was kind of looking around. And it seems that... There was this question of the little girl that Angela met before she met White Rose a couple of seasons ago, right? And I guess in the credits, that character is referred to as young Angela. So people are wondering, like, was that a clone? Is that, you know, who else? Who is this little girl exactly? Um, it's the same actress that played uh, Angela in some of her flashback scenes. So... You know, some of the more far-fetched theories is that, well, they're actually, you know, Angela's still alive, but it's little clone Angela that's still alive, which seems a little bit far-fetched. Um, I think it's more likely that somehow, uh, you know, that she's dead. The other thing that I had seen was that uh, the the actress that plays Angela, uh, what's her name? Portia Doubleday. Is that right? Yeah. 
she uh, was dating uh, Rami Malek and then broke up with him. So this idea that maybe, you know, they kind of wrote her out of the show because, you know, things were getting would be kind of weird on set. Um, and if that is true, then it makes me think either they filmed a bunch of stuff and, uh, you know, they just kind of said go home or she's actually not in any more episodes. Whew. Well, either way, goodbye, Angela. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, do you have any other impressions that you want to talk about about this episode or predictions? Um. You know, I think, uh, it, to me, it's like, it kind of lays out the, the pieces on the chessboard, right? Like, this show, like, at least uh, this first show kind of tells you who's going to be around, not Angela, and what the other characters of Note are doing. So Tyrell, you know, he's being hailed as a savior, but he knows that, he, you know, he's a fraud. So, you know, what's going on there? Um, what's his relationship with Elliot? The, you know, there was some talk online about the fact that, you know, the, the three missing days that Elliot had post hack, um, what did he do? Did he meet with Tyrell? So is there something going on still? So that Tyrell character and his current position that, you know, implies, uh, you know, future shenanigans, I guess, uh, you know, Darlene and Dom and Elliot and how they're all going to kind of come together or not. I think it kind of laid out some really nice uh, pieces that it can pick up for episode two. And I think even that death scene with Elliot, it kind of made me realize how much I had been messed with through the episode where I was actually thinking, okay, well, he's dead. That's going to be an interesting season. So yes, it does set up the chess pieces on the board pretty well. The little machines, you know, the subplots, and we'll see how it unfolds. Uh, I definitely like... uh, I like B.D. Wong as an actor, so I look forward to seeing more of White Rose. I definitely don't look forward to seeing more of Philip Price. Every time he over-enunciates, I just want to, you know, <laughs> I just, I just want to, like, scream. But uh, I guess that's part of the character. So he's a good villain. He's a good villain. And um, I hope that Elliot gets some, gets some nutrition. He's looking a little bit wan, you know, a little bit weak. Uh, he needs his energy to fight to fight for um, what's right, I guess, this time around. Who knows um, if he can really redeem himself for everything he's been a part of um, or not. And maybe we'll see some ca- characters we haven't thought of in a while from other seasons suddenly reappearing. It would be great to see some of those folks um, come back if they're still alive. So um, I guess I guess I look forward to seeing episode two of season four uh before we go i want to hear your thoughts on the ballet slipper you know that scene where uh, darlene is given some drugs and then she catches people in uh, angela's closet uh and they find ballet slippers and fish food and she freaks out and you know the camera lingers on the ballet shoes and it kind of got me thinking like well what is that like why, why right and so i kind of did some research and I guess Darlene used to also do ballet with Angela. Remember where we learned that that's how they kind of uh, knew each other, interacted. I forget if it was season two or three. Um, and then the fish, um, you know, the the fish QWERTY that Elliot used to have and the fact that there's various times where 
it's referenced that Angela um, now has the fish and she's the one feeding him. Um, but then there was also that fish that died in uh, the scene where Angela meets White Rose. So, you know, this, this, uh, these are references or allusions to the fish. Like, you know, fish is often a symbol of like resurrection or rebirth. So again, kind of coming back to the resurrection or rebirth theme. Uh, to me, it was kind of interesting, you know, like I say, I'm bad at spotting Easter eggs, but once I kind of go and f uh, read about them, it's interesting to think about what they imply. Yeah, I mean, maybe there is something to the InGen company in Costa Rica that White Rose is funneling money to. Maybe it's not Jurassic Park. Maybe it's, you know, Human Zoo or something. I mean, where there's some genetic stuff going on. I mean, maybe that is what this resurrection's about. I, I hear you. That's really great research um, and gives me a lot of fish food for thought. <laughs> so what are your expectations uh, for the remainder of the season? I think that uh, they're going to keep the tension ratcheted up really high, um, which I think they did a pretty good job of doing um, this episode, and which they also did in the El Camino movie, by the way, which I was blown away over the writing. So I think they're going to keep the tension high. And, you know, I will be surprised who ends up being alive, quote unquote, you know, whatever that means at the end of this series. I mean, there might be some final moments for more than just Angela and Freddie. Hmm. Yeah, I think in terms of pacing, there's 13 episodes in the season. Historically, the Mr. Robot seasons have kind of you know, progressed where the first half or two thirds of the season, it's kind of a lot of setup, a lot of question posing, a lot of hints and tantalizing developments uh, where characters kind of move towards some sort of purpose. And then the last like third or half kind of some sort of resolution uh, and climax. And so to me, it's kind of interesting to think about how all these different strands are going to get woven together um, in terms of how soon will it be before Philip Price talks to Elliot again? Um, how long before Dom and Darlene uh, meet or Dom and Elliot meet? I'm curious to see how how long it takes for those things to happen. Yep. Yeah. It, it's really funny to see um, how um, like a lot of stories do work in very similar fashion, how video games are designed with quest structures I mean, I guess that's storytelling, but I, I, I think a lot of them remind me of video games in terms of like those, those main movements that you're describing. Um, so I'm looking forward to it and I'm definitely looking forward to being back uh, doing this podcast with you. It's really fun. Yeah. And what, what do you think the next character that's going to get killed will be? Will there be any more? <sighs> well, you know, I, I do... I do wonder if they're going to do a break, uh, um, uh, a Mr. Robot movie. Uh, otherwise, I, I would think no one's safe. Elliot's not safe. Darlene, Darlene will probably make it out fine. <laughs> I don't know why I'm, I think that. Dom's not safe. Her mother is definitely not safe. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see all, all Elliot go, is what I'm thinking. I think Philip Price will be next oh i know that makes you happy it does <laughs> I, I think i think he's going to somehow you know provide some sort of 
uh, critical assistance to Elliot, and then he's gonna get killed. I I wouldn't be sad to see him go. Does doesn't he get on your nerves? Just just the sound of his voice, you know, it's just kind of nasally, like the way he talks, just like grates on my nerves, and just his attitude of self importance and uh, kind of self pity. It's it's pretty grating. Oh, it's terrible. I, I don't even know if it's on purpose. I, I mean, I just, I just, I just can't deal. So, fingers crossed, Henry. <laughs> and, <laughs> fingers you know, crossed. <laughs> so, you know, we haven't done our segment of uh, would you rather, you know, blank, you know, one or the other. Um, the one I thought is would you rather e-coin or U.S. dollar in the world of Mr. Robot? Mm, I think uh, in the world of Mr. Robot, U.S. dollar, because I wouldn't want to support an organization like e- e- uh, E-Core. Uh, e- um, I feel kind of guilty about using Microsoft Office, so I'm sure I would feel bad about using eCoin. I feel the same way. I would definitely try to do, use the U.S. currency and avoid using eCoin, even though I think you probably get all sorts of perks for using eCoin, I would imagine, in that world. But I would stick with the good old U.S. dollar. Okay. And uh, I have one for you. Uh, would you rather listen to a piece of music on headphones or through a great set of speakers? Oh, most definitely through a great set of really awesome loud speakers. Mm. <laughs> I, I love loud music. I, I would choose headphones. Um, yeah, but I think it's also because I have neighbors. <laughs> well, so is that why? Is that your reason? Uh, neighbors and I, I'm, I'm a big headphone nerd. Um, I love like the details that I can pick out using headphones that I can't even with great sets of speakers. And I really, I don't drive very often, but when I do, I really love listening to very, 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 very loud music. (laughs) (laughs) There is something really nice about driving a car, uh, windows down, uh, music loud. That's like one of the great feelings. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited to um, be talking about the show with you, and I look forward to speaking soon. All right. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, Looking forward to talking to you about episode two. Okay. Bye.